This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Would you have a seat? Let's, uh, let's pray as we open God's Word. And I want to invite you, um, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what your prayer life looks like. I'm not sure if you pray regularly or not. But I want to invite you just in your own words to, to ask God to speak to you today. We believe that God is alive, that he is real, and he wasn't just real there and then, but he's real here and now. He's in this room. He's among us. His, his spirit and his presence is here. And so would you ask him in your own words to speak to you through his word, that we would not just see words on a piece of paper, but we would hear the voice of God speaking to us. Holy God, we open your word um, to to see you and to hear from you. We open your word to commune with you, not just to hear marching orders or directions or a rule book for our life, but to commune with you, to experience your presence more fully. Heavenly Father, it's by no accident that every person is here today who's here. And I know that we come with obstacles and distractions, hurts, expectations, preconceived ideas. I know that for many of us, the spiritual power of the enemy and of darkness has blinded our eyes to see, our ears to hear. We, like Elisha's servant, we can't see that you surround us, that your presence is among us, and so I'm asking, Father, for you to give us spiritual eyes, that real healing and growth would happen today. In the name of Jesus, we we ask. Amen. All right, folks, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. If you have a copy of the scripture, I invite you to go ahead and turn to that. If you don't, uh, there are some, ba- some Bibles in the back. Um, uh, they, we would love for you to have one. Um, that's, that's cool, Mala. It's all good. Um, we will also have the, the, uh, the verses on the screen here. Um, so for anyone that just wants to, to look on the screen, um, but, but I love a paper Bible. Um, and one of the reasons I love a paper Bible, uh, l- let me tell you, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you here. I am very easily distracted. 
I know, I know, shocker, shocker, if any of you have had any conversation with me for any moment of time, like I, I'm constantly looking around, I'm driving and I'm looking at everything, I, I, I probably shouldn't say that, you know, but I'm like, I watch everybody that comes around, like I'm just, I'm so easily distracted, and so one of the reasons I like a paper Bible is because with technology, like I'm just, I get a notification, or I remember, oh, I need to pay that bill, or whatever, and I'm just, I'm gone, right, I'm so easily uh, distracted, Stephanie would be like, hey baby, can you take out the trash, and I'm like, yeah, of course. I'm like, oh, candy, you know? Like, and I start eating some candy, and I'm like, oh, there's a game on, right? And, and later, she's like, hey, the trash. I'm like, oh, you're right. Totally forgot about it. I'm just, I'm all over the place. Um, and that's fine in many ways. I think many of you are probably easily distracted as well, right? Am I, am I alone in this? Can I get a little bit of acknowledgement? Think, I, I think I saw some heads moving. I'm not totally sure. It's okay if you want to be like, yep, I'm there. Like, you can verbalize with me. I enjoy that. Uh, it actually is really great. So, um, Yeah, I don't think I'm alone. And it's fine. It's fine if we're easily distracted, if it's something, you know, minor and irrelevant, right? But if it's, if it's something important, right? Like if Stephanie is installing a ceiling fan and she's like, hey, hey, Corey, I need some help. And I get distracted along the way, right? That's going to have more consequences than me not taking out the trash, you know? Um, And so, it's fine, but it it also can, can distract us from where we're really trying to go. We can get so bogged down in the details that we forget we're, we're trying to go there. We're not trying to end here in the details. We're trying to go there. Jim Collins um, is a, a business kind of leadership guru, and he wrote a book called Good to Great. It's a fantastic book if you're interested in it. Um, and he starts the book by saying, good is the enemy of great. This is where they teach you in seminary where you kind of walk around a little bit, you let it sink in. And then you repeat it, good is the enemy, dramatic pause, of great. It's a fantastic quote. It's great. Good is the enemy of great. His point in the book is that so many companies never rise to this kind of great echelon because they settle for good. They get to a place, they're a, they're a startup company or a startup church, and they get to a place of, of man, things are going good, right? Like we've got some, some things happening, and then they kind of settle and get comfortable there, and they never move into their ultimate goal and purpose. I think that happens with us a lot. We settle for good And we never rise to the great purpose that God has for us. That could have happened here in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. Jesus very easily could have settled for a good thing, but praise God he didn't. Because our lives would be impacted today if he settled for for good. Let's read Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. 
Let's take a second and let's, let's put ourselves in this scene, in Jesus and in, in Peter's, Simon Peter's shoes. I think a lot of times, you know, I've said this before, we, we read the Bible like just some event that, that happened there but doesn't really translate to, to here, to now. We, we sometimes think of Jesus as some, his, you know, historical figure, but like, so what? What does it matter? And we, we just, there's a, there's a disconnect. There's a breakdown between first century Israel and 2021 Austin, Texas. So let's try to put ourselves in the, the shoes here. So if we back up a little bit, right? Verse 14 and 15 of chapter one, Jesus says, he, he comes onto the scene with his inauguration speech and he says, here's why I'm here. He says, the kingdom of God is, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. The first message that Jesus gives, his inaugural speech is, hey, the time is now. The kingdom of God has broken into this world. The Messiah is here. Repent and believe. Stop trusting in your own way. Trust me and follow me. Jesus' main purpose is to bring the kingdom of God to this world, to all people and to all places. It is his main reason for being here is to bring heaven to earth, the kingdom of God to earth so that all people in all places could have the invitation to stop living life their own way in their own kingdom and to trust him and to be a part of his family, his kingdom. So now remember, a kingdom has three necessary components. A king, a people who submit allegiance, surrender allegiance to the king, and victory over the enemy, a removal of the previous kingdom and the previous ways of the kingdom. And so Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, I am the king. I am the Messiah. With me, the kingdom of God has come. I am the king. And then he immediately calls in verses 16 through 20, uh, Simon and Andrew and James and John. He says, hey, follow me. He's gathering a people, right, number two, that will submit their allegiance to him. They will surrender their ways instead of in, in place of going after his ways and following him. So he's gathering a people. And then it says that he gets to Capernaum. And on the Sabbath, he's teaching and the enemy approaches. A demon-possessed man, the, the kingdom of darkness, comes up and approaches the king of light. And in a massive display of power. And with the word, Jesus says, hey, shut up and get out. And the demon obeys and follows. The, the king has victory over the enemy and is tangibly removing the old kingdom and bringing in his new life, his new way. Right? So all three components of a kingdom of his purpose are starting to play out. You got the king, you got a people who are following, and you have Jesus tangibly defeating the enemy and removing the old kingdom. And it says in verse 28 of chapter 1, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And then if we keep reading, he goes to Simon and Andrew's house and he heals their mother who's been sick. And then the whole town, whoever wants to, brings their sick and demon-possessed to the house and Jesus is casting out demons and he's healing the sick. The king is gathering people who will follow him and he is literally removing the kingdom of darkness and bringing in the kingdom of light into this world. It's not just an idea. It's not just a good conversation. He is tangibly changing lives and the world around him. 
And then it says in verse 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. We'll come back to this. Verse 36, Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. The, the word searched in the English doesn't carry the full punch that it does in the Greek. This is a irritated, like I am looking for someone for something that should be somewhere else and it's not. It's when I go to get the car keys from the hook and there's no car keys on the hook because all the car keys are in Stephanie's purse. And then it's not just like, oh, hey, let me go grab them out of the purse. Like, have you ever, have you ever gone into a woman's purse? Like, you might not come back out. You know, and so I'm, like, I'm digging around in there because the car keys aren't where they're supposed to be. So there's a somewhat irritated searching for the keys because they're not where they're supposed to be, right? You know what I'm saying? That's what's happening with Peter. He is irritated. He is searching for Jesus because everyone is looking for Jesus. Because what, what Jesus has is what we like to call momentum. Everyone is coming to him. He's got people eating out of his hands, right? The church is expanding just by people after people after people. There's no like slow incline. Jesus steps on the scene, declares his kingdom, is gathering a people, pushing out darkness, and it is blowing up in Capernaum. All of the surrounding regions are coming to him. And Jesus is off nowhere to be found. Right? The times we see, and we'll see it throughout Mark, where there's this gathering of people, and you would think, okay, Jesus, now's your chance. You have people eating out of your hand, and Jesus like disappears and walks away. Peter's frustrated. He's looking at a good thing. He's looking at, at the kingdom and the king, and he's like, Jesus, now is the time. Come on, man, we don't have to go anywhere. They'll come to us, dude. Everything's coming together and he's looking at something and it looks so good. And Jesus says, there's a greater purpose. If you only look right here, then you're going to settle for good. And there's something greater beyond that. See, we're a lot like Peter. We get so distracted by the things around us, by the world around us, right? There's so many things going around and there's so many things happening and we get so focused here and we lose sight of what's ahead. See, the devil wants us to take our eyes off of God and the greater purpose and to move them just right here and to get fixed in our own world. The devil wants us living for here and today, not just for there and tomorrow in heaven. He wants us to lose sight of the greater purpose that God has for us. Because if the devil can get us to settle for good, then we'll never pursue the great purpose God has. If the devil can get us justifying this and like, ah, it's not that bad, then we'll never pursue the great purpose that he has for us. If the devil can get us distracted by relationships and people that, that aren't moving towards the great purpose, then, then we settle here. We never step into all that God has called us to. And so the temptation for Peter is he's fixed on this good thing. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't lose focus of the great purpose that God has for him. And so Jesus says, hey, Peter, I realize that you, 
You want to capitalize on this momentum? You want to stay here? You want to set up shop? You want to build the kingdom of God here in Capernaum because, man, this is a good thing. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But Jesus says in verse 38, let us go on to the next towns. Insinuating that town and then that town and then that town. Let us keep going on to the next towns that I may preach the gospel there. It doesn't say the word gospel here, but we know in verses 14 and 15 that that's what Jesus is doing, proclaiming the good news of God. And so Jesus says, we can't stay just here. We've got to go to the next town and the next town and the next town because we've got to preach there also for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The ultimate purpose of Jesus and our ultimate purpose is to proclaim the good news of God to all people in all places, both in word and in deed. The ultimate purpose of Jesus, and then if we are following him, our purpose is to proclaim the good news of God to all people in all places, both with our words and with our deeds. Those are the two things that that I see here when I see Jesus's purpose, when Peter wants him to settle for good and Jesus is like, no, there's a greater purpose. There's, there's those two things that I see in these verses that Jesus always had an outward focus. Peter's thinking, man, look right here. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And Jesus is saying, if our focus is inward, then it is broke. I don't care how good it may be. If it's inward focused, then it's broke. Our focus is always to be outward to looking to all people in all places that the whole world would know of Jesus, that the two plus billion people who have never heard of the name of Jesus would get the chance to know who Jesus is. He always has that outward focus. And he also is proclaiming the good news in both his words and his actions. The first thing, his invitation was not just to Capernaum. His invitation is not just to Austin. Jesus' focus was Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world. Jesus' focus was all people in all places. Peter saw a good thing happening. Comfort, security. Man, success, right? Things are, they went from nobodies to everybody is coming to us now. Peter saw just right in front of him. But Jesus continually says the invitation is not just for the 99, but it's for the one, it's for the outsider, it's for the unseen, it's for the unknown, it's for the forgotten. Jesus' focus was always outward, always looking to move to all people. And that is good news for us. Because this is, gonna, this is a shocker. We don't live in first century Capernaum. So if Jesus' focus never moved outward to all people in all places, 2021 Austin is going to be on the outside looking in. If the love of Jesus doesn't go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, we live in the ends of the earth. It doesn't come to us. 
If the purpose of Jesus doesn't grip the hearts of some missionaries who say, I will pack up and move my family to another place so that they can hear about Jesus as well, it doesn't get to us. But Jesus' focus is always the whole world. Because God loves the whole world. Because he doesn't want any to perish. Because he wants you to know him. And he wants your brothers and sisters to know him. And your moms and dads. And your, your husbands and wives and your kids. And Jesus wants your neighbors to know him. And your coworkers to know him. And your classmates to know him. And, and the stranger that you've never met in Philadelphia. But one day you'll move there. Jesus wants them to know him. And the people in Iran that don't know him, Jesus wants them to know him. And the people in China that don't know him, Jesus wants them to know him. And Jesus has called us to have the same focus and purpose of all people in all places. That outward heart that everyone would know. Because that was his heart. That was his purpose. Where's your focus today? Where's your focus And it's so easy to turn inward. We get comfortable with our group of six or seven or eight and you add in someone new and it changes the dynamics. You know? I bring someone new into the picture. What if my my best friend becomes best friends with that person? We don't want to risk that. And so we so naturally turn inward. We settle for something that's good. One of, the, one of the things that I've started to sense for our church is that we've, we've kind of got stuck because we've really got comfortable with how things are. I think the most common feedback we get is that there's a, there's a family feel here, that, you, that people really feel seen and, and cared for, but, but we can get really comfortable in that. And we can stop moving outward to invite new people in. We can be chatting with our friends out in the lobby and someone new walks in and we don't want to leave the 99 and go introduce ourselves with someone new because that's risky and that's unknown. That what, if, what if they don't want to talk to us? What if we miss out on a good conversation? What if we miss out on lunch plans because we've started chatting with somebody else, right? It's so easy for us to settle for something that's good but miss the greater purpose that Jesus has for us. Jesus could have settled, had a good thing there in Capernaum. But his focus was always, we go to the next town, let's go. And then the town after that. Where's your focus today? Do you have a focus for outward like Jesus did. The second thing that I see here is that proclaiming the good news of God is both a verbal proclamation and a tangible demonstration. Jesus both proclaimed the good news and then he demonstrated the good news. If I'm reading verse 38 and he says, let us go to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Okay, let's go to verse 39. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues. I would expect, period, end of sentence. Verse 38, we gotta go and we gotta preach there also. Verse 39, and so he went to these next towns preaching in the synagogues. Right, that, that seems to be the logical follow up. 
But it says he went preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. He went verbally preaching, but also tangibly pushing out the darkness of the world around them and bringing in the kingdom of light. Because the preaching of the gospel is both verbal and demonstrative. Let me be clear. There's a quote that says, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And that quote could not be further from the truth. Because at some point we've got to communicate. The message of the gospel is good news. It's a message of good news. It's for people to hear. And so at some point, I know that we all have relationships. At some point, we've got to open our mouths and share the good news of the gospel and invite them to trust and to follow. And so the message of the gospel is this. And and so maybe for some of you, you need to hear this to be reminded so you know what to communicate to your roommate or to your neighbor, to your friend or your coworker. But maybe for some of you, this message of the gospel, you've never really heard before. You've never really seen with new eyes. And I'm praying that right now, the spirit will, will cause you to see and to hear. The message of the good news of God, what Jesus is proclaiming is this, that you and you and me and you and our neighbors and every single person was created for the fullness of life in the presence of God. Psalm 1611 says that in his presence is the fullness of life. At his right hand, right next to him, is the fullness of joy. We were created to live in that, to walk in that perfect communion with God, that perfect communion with one another in the world around us. That is what is written into our souls. But every one of us, the Bible says, has gone our own way. Every one of us has walked away from that relationship with God to chase after our own pursuits. And the Bible calls that sin. And it it separates us from the presence of God. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God had to remove them from the Garden of Eden. They had to be separated because God is holy. He's perfect. He can't be in the presence of our rebellion against him. What, What kingdom allows people to be traitors and just live among them? No, you've got to... You've got to punish that. You've got to separate that. That's what our sin does. It separates us from God's presence. And so we're all born into that world and we're naturally on this hamster wheel looking for fullness, looking for satisfaction. If I get the right job, I'm finally going to feel this peace in my soul. I just long to be married and have a family. If that happens, then, then I think everything will kind of fall into place. Let me get here and then get my 401k in line and get my savings right. And then, then I'll be at a place of peace and rest. Or may I just need, I, I need to go chase pleasure and fun. I need to like, tomorrow needs to be more fun than today was. And that experience needs to be more thrilling than the previous one. And what we know in our soul is something is broken. That's why we're continuing to chase it. That's why we get our dream job. And then six months in, a year in, we're like, I don't know. It's not so great anymore. The new car smell, like it's, it's gone pretty quick because it never fully satisfies because we're created for the satisfaction in the presence of God alone. But our sin has separated us. So how do we get back? How do we in 2021 have a relationship with God? Jesus, God himself came and he lived on this earth. 
He's a historical being who lived on this earth. And the Bible says he never sinned. He never had a thought, a word, an action that was in opposition to the character and will of God the Father. That's what he expected from us. We didn't do it, but Jesus did. And then Jesus, the innocent, died on the cross guilty. What was he guilty of? He was guilty because he took our sins on himself. We stand before the judge with our record of guilt and Jesus steps in and says, I'll take that. And he takes our guilt and he suffers our punishment. That is why he died on the cross, is to take our record of guilt and to nail it to the cross with him. And if Jesus is still dead, let's close this up, let's pack it up, let's go home. This has no purpose. But the Bible says that Jesus rose from the dead. No one's ever found his body. No one's ever proven that he didn't rise. And there was plenty of motivation from Rome and the Jews of the day to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. Never happened. Because Jesus, who is God, rose from the dead in order to give us entrance to a new eternal life. And so the Bible says, hey, you're created for a relationship with God and Jesus is the answer that spiritually he will forgive our sins and reconcile back into a relationship with God. And yes, that's for one day in heaven when everything will be perfect. But it doesn't just start then. It's here now. Eternal life begins here and now. Tomorrow can be better than today with God. The next day can be better than Monday in the presence of God. Wednesday, better Thursday, better. Friday, better. Because in the presence of God, you never hit a ceiling of the fullness of life in him, ever. It's an ever-increasing abundance in his presence. It doesn't mean that circumstances aren't hard. That doesn't mean that we don't have challenges. It means that there is the invitation and opportunity to know him more. That God's even gonna use our sins and our mistakes and the hard parts to make our enjoyment of him better that God in his beauty takes the worst points. And it's not just like, hey, let's cover that up. He says, let's reshape that and let's make it something good even. That's what we get in our relationship with God. That's the invitation for you. That's the invitation that everybody's looking for, whether they know it or not. Have you trusted Jesus? He invites you to follow him. Have you let go of your way and surrendered fully to Jesus. And when we do that in our minds and hearts, we're spiritually united with him forever. But then Jesus doesn't just verbally share that, he backs it up with actions. Jesus doesn't just verbally say, hey, there's a new life for you, he actually brings in new life. Jesus doesn't just speak of deliverance, he actually brings in deliverance. Jesus doesn't just speak of healing. He actually brings in healing. He doesn't just speak of love. He actually brings in love. Jesus speaks the word of the gospel and then he lives the gospel with his life. He gives proclamation and then he demonstrates it with his life. We are called to live that way as well. Last week, I read an article on the Yahoo about why more and more people are walking away from the church I, I agreed with it quite, quite a bit. It cited a Gallup poll that said less than 50% of Americans belong to a faith community. We 
all know that Austin is greater than that. That the vast majority of Austin don't belong to a faith community. But why? He said this, and I, I believe with him. He said the problem, and it is a problem, is with us. The problem is that most of the church in America looks more like America than the body of Christ. The reason people don't have any interest in the church doesn't look any different than what they have outside of it. There's as much bitterness, anger, selfishness, sin, fraud, abuse, Inside the church is out, so why go? My belief is that most people don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with the people who claim to follow Jesus and live nothing like him. I really think most people don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with, with us. When we say that we love Jesus, but then we don't live out his command to love one another as he has loved us. When we say that we love Jesus and we love his forgiveness, but then we don't forgive others the way that he has forgiven us. When we say that we love Jesus and we want to look like him, but then our actions on 6th Street look nothing like Jesus. When we say, man, we, have, we surrender all, but then we don't want to give up our own wills and ambitions and dreams and drives. When we say that we, we love all people, but then we stand by and let racism occur and do nothing about it. When we say that we want to we want to move near to people like Jesus did, but then there's these people that they're just kind of dirty and un, unknown, and we're like, I don't know if I, I don't trust that, and so we just keep our distance. Jesus' proclamation of the good news didn't just come out of his mouth, but it came with his hands in his life. He literally stepped into the darkness and brokenness of this world and began to push back the darkness and bring in the light of his life to the people's lives and to the world around them. And he went to all people in all places to bring that. We've got to ask ourselves, are we following Jesus in this way? Are our lives matching up with what our words are saying? Because the, the love of the church has the potential to be the most contagious and inviting place on the planet if we will just get outside of ourselves and love as he has loved us. And so, yes, we preach the gospel with our words. But man, those words fall flat if our lives don't also bring in the light of Jesus. I think there's so much more of his kingdom to be tasted and experienced here today if by faith we will walk in his power and in the way that he has called us. Jesus' focus was all people in all places. That has to be our focus too. We can't get stuck inward. We can't settle for good. 
And Jesus spoke it and he lived it. And the world around him was changed. And he's entrusted us with that same message in that same life to change the world around us. And I believe it can. Just want to end in verse 35. And I'll go ahead and Charlie, you can make your way up, buddy. How does Jesus do this? How does he not lose focus? Right? How does he not get stuck on a good thing? How does he have the energy to keep going? How does he not get overwhelmed with all the tasks? I mean, he's got people on top of people on top of people. He's got appointments. He's got places. How does he keep going and not lose everything that he's been called to do? And the answer is in verse 35. When there were to-do lists on top of to-do list on top of to-do list on top of to-do list of important and good things rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a quiet, still, desolate place and he prayed. He communed with his father. Jesus tells us in John 15, abide in me for apart from me you can do nothing. That word abide means connect, like a, like a vine connects into the, the branch, to the source, to the trunk, because from that, that branch, from the, the source is where it gets all of its energy and life and nutrients. You, you cut off the branch and it, it can't live, right? If I go outside and I cut off a branch from a tree, just give it time and it's going to die because it's not connected to its life, to its source, to the nutrients that it needs, and so Jesus would connect to the source of life, the Father. He would put aside other important things because nothing was more important than communing with the Father. I mean, think about that. Jesus had people coming to him, so many good things to do. And he, he snuck away to spend time alone with the Father. If, if you were to ask what is one practical thing for us to do to see real transformation take place in our lives and in the world around us, I would say start here by abiding with him. Make it your top priority every day. Pull apart your calendar, empty it out, and put that in first. Time with the Father. Time with the Father. Time with the Father where we just sit and we pray and there's not necessarily an agenda. We just want to be with God because the Bible says in that we are spiritually filled so that we can then go and do. Jesus knew that before doing things for God, he had to be with God. That more importantly than doing all of these good things was being with the Father. We see it with Mary and Martha. Martha serving and doing all these good things and Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking in his presence and Martha gets frustrated. And she's like, Jesus, Mary's not helping me. And Jesus says, Martha, 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 you're anxious and troubled about many things. Is that not our lives? Is that not our world? We're anxious and troubled about many things because there's so many things around us all the time. And Jesus says the most important thing, if you'll just let it sink in and get through your thick skulls, is to sit and be with me. Everything else will take care of itself and fall into place. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. 
And so if your, your faith has stalled and if you're, the things around you, you're like, I don't see any of this. I don't see the power of God. My life is just kind of flat. Let me encourage you to press more into him. Spend more time reading and sitting and listening. And I understand sometimes you're like, I don't want to. And it feels flat and there's nothing happening. And I would say, keep going. Keep your eyes on the great purpose ahead and press into him and trust that in that he is doing something and will bring you to the other side. But I, I can guarantee because Jesus modeled this, if we don't commune with him, we will not see this happen. We will not see transformation in our own lives and we will not see transformation in the world around us. We will turn inward, we will settle for something that may seem good and we will find that we completely miss the fullness that he has for us. We've got to spend time with him because he is our source of life. Apart from him, we can do nothing. I still invite you to close your eyes and just, we're gonna ask God to, to speak to each one of you with, for what he is communicating to you. Again, these are just words printed on a piece of paper, but they're God's words to us. It's God speaking to us through this. And so would you ask him, all right, God, what are you telling me from this? For me, God is telling me to abide more in him. I'm tired, I'm worn down. There's a lot of good things to happen, but my time abiding with him is rushed, is squeezed in. And I, I know God is telling me to abide first in him. Maybe that resonates with some of you as well. You just know, you just, you just know that that's what God's saying is to slow down and abide, seek him, read, listen, talk, pray, be with him. Do you hear God encouraging you to turn your focus outward towards others? Maybe he's telling you to pack up and move to another city, another state, another country where you can take the good news of God with you and share with people there. Maybe he is revealing to you areas of your life that do not demonstrate his kingdom well. Do not demonstrate the way of Jesus well. And the invitation is not to sit in guilt or shame, but just to confess and repent and walk away from it. Return to Jesus. 
or perhaps there's someone you know you need to communicate the gospel with. They need to hear how they can be a part of God's family. And God's entrusted you with that message. Don't harden your heart to what God is telling you today. The more we harden our heart, the thicker that wall gets. Don't harden your heart. Whatever he is telling you to do, trust that it is good and that he will never let you down because that is who he is. God, we thank you for your words that you have spoken to us. Jesus, that you came and you have done everything necessary to restore us to you. God, transform every person here today. Transform this church. Transform our offices and our neighborhoods, our schools. Transform this city. God, do a work in our lives and in the world around us that we cannot help but say, God alone can do this. God, let us be a part of your kingdom coming to all people in all places for your glory, for our good and the good of the world. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.